Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, and welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we'll be watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one by one. I'm Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And this week, on our very first episode, we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 1, Welcome to the Hellmouth. Stay tuned at the end of this podcast every week for an original song written by me, recapping the Buffy episode we're discussing. But for right now, let's get it started. Woo! Okay, so we're doing this because we both love the television program Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I was more reluctant to come to my love for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I, Jenny, have been repeatedly watching the entire series of Buffy the Vampire Slayer over and over again for the last, like, 12 years. So did you watch it when it was on television? Well, I did, but I wasn't religious about it. Okay. I saw the movie when the movie came out. Of course. When I was a kid. Who didn't? And then, you know, I watched maybe the first, like, two seasons when it was airing live, and then I kind of, like, drifted away from it because of high school delinquent behavior. Yeah, you had to, like, learn how to play guitar and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but then I got back into it in college. And Why? Because you met friends who liked it? Or? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so then I became a total convert and uh, have been flipping my lid over it ever since. And Kristen and I have been together as a couple for about six and a half years. Yep. And I would say probably like four years into our relationship, I was able to convince Kristen yeah. To give Buffy a spin. Like four seconds into the relationship, I learned that Jenny owned the boxed sets of both Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel um, and was really proud of that fact. What's not to be proud of? No, I mean, of course. And actually, one of my first experiences with you watching it religiously was when you had Justin Pierre over. Remember? Oh, yeah. yeah, we were supposed to be writing, but instead... But instead, they watched, like, Buffy for the whole time. I Sometimes you gotta. It was really funny, because you were like, I Justin's coming, and we're going to make music. And then they just watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer the whole time. Well, writing music, you know, you have to, like, access <laughs> the deepest wells of your emotion. And the deepest wells of my emotion are full of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. So. I understand. And and that actually piqued my interest for the first time because I was like, all right, well, they're really into this. Obviously, they've cast off their responsibilities entirely to sit in a windowless room and watch episode after episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I think that's when we when we tried to watch it together for the first time. But we started with season one. Which you couldn't tolerate. I couldn't tolerate it. But now revisiting season one all these years later, I don't understand <laughs> what was possibly wrong with me all those years ago. Um, but uh, essentially then Jenny convinced me to watch season two to start. Um, and I watched season two to start and I fell in love with it. And then I watched all of the seasons. And despite my own uh, perceptions of myself, I <laughs> became a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. I think it's one of the best television shows that exists that I've seen anyhow. 
I just think there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and there are people who, for whatever reason, won't allow themselves to love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. There should be a whole school of therapy just for people who won't allow themselves to love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We'll get there as a society. Yeah, because I think it says a lot. (laughs) Anyway, now we're back to season one, episode one. The episode that Kristen Russo of yesteryear did not enjoy. (laughs) Welcome to the Hellmouth. God, it's so good. It's really good. It's so, it's like everything about it makes me happy. We've never done this podcast before, so we don't like know what we're supposed to say or how we're supposed to say it. But I think what I'm trying to say is that the first episode of this television series, now that I know what this television series is about, did not disappoint me for one single solitary second. And... I, I don't know our format, but I'm going to just start at the very beginning because Please. the opening scene, there's there's two opening scenes as far as I see There's it. the cold open. The cold open and then the, the first scene that we see after the credits. Right. And I feel like both of those are so significant and so indicative of like what this whole series is. So what am I allowed to talk about? What do I do? What do I say first? All right, well, let's start with the cold open. Okay, so the cold open moved me because I feel that Buffy is an extremely feminist character. Um, I think that Buffy was written, as my wife has told me, um, by Joss Whedon to sort of upend the way that superheroes were written, always as strong, burly men. Right, and to upend the way women were written. Which was like the victim down in the dark alleyway. Right. Right? And so the very first scene doesn't have Buffy in it, but it has this, you know, couple that goes into the school. Also, I love that the school is front and center right from the beginning. Totally. Also, what's up with that science room? Cat skeletons all mounted? Did you have cat skeletons at your school? I didn't have cat skeletons, but we did. I mean, I didn't, but there were classes that dissected cats. Did you not have that in your school? We just had frogs, I think. We We all did frogs. And then if you were like advanced level... You dissected cats. I may have blocked that out. It was pretty horrible. <laughs> I mean, uh. I didn't do it, but it, like just thinking back on it, it was really rough. Um, but yeah, so you see this couple go in, right? And it's a guy and a girl and they go in and he's all like, hey, baby, gotcha. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm a dude and I'm going to protect you from the bad things out there. And she's like, oh, no, I oh. am the bad things. <laughs> Right. And then she like flips her face into a vampire face and totally sucks all of his blood. And that's that. And it's just like, boom. And there you have like the setting for what this show I think is going to do with gender from day one. Totally. That scene is titled Welcome to the Hellmouth. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm just saying. I was my eyes. You couldn't see me, listeners, but my eyes got so wide. I was like, the scenes scenes have have titles. Yeah, no. (laughs) But yeah, but that could be the whole episode. Like, well, I mean, it couldn't. But you know what I mean? It couldn't because then we get to the open, right? Can I talk about that too? Absolutely. That's exactly what we're here to do. This is a podcast with Jenny and Kristen, but it's mostly Kristen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean. I'll set it up, right? And then you can knock it in the basket. (laughs) I'll try. Uh, So after the credits featuring the greatest theme song of all time, Mm -hmm. uh, we cut to Buffy's dream sequence, right? It's spooky. There's blood. There's vampires walking through a graveyard. There's a lot of graveyard shots. Uh, And she's tossing and turning. And then uh, the last thing we see before she wakes up is... um, a face of like a super old vampire that kind of looks like have you ever seen those um 
there's this rodent called a naked mole rat. Yes, I they're like I've, blind and hairless, mm. and they live underground. He sort oh, of looks exactly like a naked what mole he rat. Looks like. What's his name? Uh, the master. The master. Um, yeah. So like, hold up, because so many things just happened in what you described. First mm. of all, the dream. It's like. Hey, welcome to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where symbolism matters. There's like a <laughs> hundred thousand things in that dream that's you know that are symbols. There's the crucifix. There's the graveyard. There's the master. Even the vampire book is in there, right? Yeah, the right? vampire book is in there. The necklace, the crucifix necklace, right, right, that, right, right. Um, later is given to Buffy. Those are all. <laughs> like how it's her dream is stuff that happens later in the episode. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's the whole point. They're that's sort of the like prophetic point. dreams. Fine, fine, fine. Right, right. But and also, I'm pretty sure that one of the graves said Voldemort. I don't know. I couldn't catch it. <laughs> I tried to catch it. You can go back and watch and tell me if it said Voldemort or not. We'll have to take a closer look. Yeah. But so they set up symbolism, right? And then we're in her bedroom. And from the moment that we're in Buffy's bedroom until the end of that scene or the, like the place where that scene transitions, it is... I think, straight out of a classic, like, Wes Craven classic horror film. You know, you have, Mm -hmm. like, the empty bedroom with the boxes just unpacked, and the lighting is, like, very bright and kind of, like, fantasy-like. Yeah, like, almost too sunny. Exactly. Like a mist has just cleared. Exactly. And, you know, you hear Buffy's mom from downstairs being like, Buffy, it's just another day. And she's probably pouring, (laughs) like, orange juice that's just a little too bright down Uh in the kitchen. uh And then we transition right from that scene to the school where there's like this teenage music jamming. Yeah, it's totally scream. Oh, it's totally. And I like I have to tell you that having watched a lot of those horror movies, like everyone's gonna die. Like that's just what <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens. That's what we've learned yeah. by living our lives. Yeah, when the everyone's orange, gonna die. <laughs> when the orange juice is that bright. It's a, yeah, it's a bad sign. It's a bad sign for what's to come. So I'm really excited about those first two scenes. I'm excited about a lot more. But, like, Jenny, why don't you tell me what you're excited about so far? <laughs> oh, man. I'm excited about Man Oh Man. Am I excited about Xander cruising in uh, on a skateboard? <laughs> and, I mean, even the doofiest stuff in this episode totally works for me. Maybe it's because I'm, like, so committed to the characters. And if you're watching for the first time and you're, like, kind of gritting your teeth through this first season as you watch along with us. You're, you're going to come back to this season one day after you've fallen head over heels with the greatest TV show of all time. And you're going to say, Jenny and Kristen were right. Yeah. Season one is pretty great. Just trust the ghost of Kristen Russo future because she's <laughs> telling you that this is a great episode. And, you know, just suspend your disbelief like a little bit. Like you're already suspending your disbelief for vampires. So... Suspend your disbelief for, like, what people were wearing in 1997. The best. And what kind of jokes they were making. (laughs) Um, In rides Xander and, uh, you know, totally gets distracted by uh, shiny Buffy (laughs) and wipes out. And then immediately there's Willow. So, like, bang, bang. Yeah. Here is Xander and Willow, who are going to be two of the four most important characters. So we've already met Buffy, obviously. I would would, uh, beg to argue that. They were two of the five most important characters. Who am I missing? I don't know. I mean, I think that Buffy, Willow, Xander, Cordelia, and Giles are all of equal importance. Okay. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Not to, like, school the Buffy nerd herself. Yeah, I mean, there are arguments I can make that I'm not going to make because we're sort of, like, not there yet. Right, About... Cordelia, but she is. Oh, you weren't counting Cordelia. 
horror. <laughs> I know that Cordelia <laughs> is your favorite character yeah. ever. Yeah. Of anything. Also, Cordelia uh, auditioned great. to play Buffy. So, trivia uh, fact that I know. Right, right. Chris I mean, McCarpenter, former Chargers cheerleader, I think. Totally auditioned for Buffy. Um, Ryan Reynolds auditioned for Xander. Oh, wow. Wow. Wow, indeed. Fascinating. How lives would would be different today. Yeah, so different. I'm so glad that Xander was Xander. Uh, yeah, he's perfect. And, you know, I don't want to detour us too much, but I was thinking about why... Um, season one, episode one might be more difficult for a new viewer than it is for like me or you coming back to it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because this show is so character driven. It's, you know, the first episode of any series is really set to establish characters in the most dramatic ways. And there's Cordelia who's like, ha I'm Cordelia and I'm a popular girl and this is what I do. And then she's mean to Willow and there's Willow who's like wearing a Sears dress that her mom picked oh, out for her. Oh, she's so cute. Uh, oh, she's and, so cute. But they're all established in, in very, not caricature-like ways, but, you know. But broad strokes. Broad strokes. Because what the, can you do in 45 minutes? Right. And I think that for those of us who know the finer, more nuanced strokes, we're, like, so excited to see the broad strokes for the first time. Yeah. But even, I mean, even with the time constraint and how many characters they're introducing and how many concepts they're introducing and, and how much they have to sort of get across, like, you, you can't make the first episode of this TV show assuming people even have the basis of the movie to go off of. Right. There's some stuff that's getting dropped from the movie, like she burned down the gym and you know, she, he refers to, like, Giles as you people, meaning, I think, <laughs> watchers or people who wanted to fight vampires. But, like, they want to establish things without you necessarily knowing what came before. Right. Right. And and considering the all of the constraints that they're working with, I think they do such an amazing—there are so many great small moments with all of the major characters that they, that they introduce, um, like— when when they're at the bronze and Giles is like uh, telling Buffy to like sort of hone and like tune into her Slayer sense <laughs> and and dig deep to pick out the van, she just interrupts him and is just like, "There's one," and he's like, "How do you know?" And she tells him, you know, that the guy's wearing something from the '80s and right. and whatever, and he's like, "But but you didn't." Hone, <laughs> and then she realizes the guy's talking to Willow, and she's like, "Ah, I gotta go save Willow." She runs off, and Giles stands there on the balcony of the bronze, doing nothing, and then does this amazing sort of like look to the left, look to the right, doesn't know what he's supposed to do, and then he like finally uh, pushes off and goes in a direction. Oh, what a gifable moment it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Willow has all these like goofy, self-deprecating lines, and some of them. I feel like stand the test of time and some of them don't, but the ones that do, you just sort of really get a sense of like her sweetness and you kind of get a sense that she like understands this sort of social hierarchy and her place in it and like also doesn't care and like wants to help Buffy by like telling her she doesn't have to talk to to Willow. Right. You know? I mean, I think you get a sense and maybe I'm like, it's hard as a person who's seen the series to know if I'm getting the sense from this episode alone or if I'm lay layering on my future knowledge of characters. But I do feel like you get a sense right from the, from the beginning that even though Willow is the like unpopular character and Cordelia is the popular character, that Willow's really got her shit together way yeah. more than Cordelia, which like, may not be me reading into characters. It may just be me understanding society mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. um but you know willow like you said she's very strong in what she chooses and or doesn't choose she doesn't stand up to uh cordelia which maybe makes her seem weak in that moment but i feel like overall she just seems like the stronger character yeah that's really interesting 
that you say that because I, I do think that gets established very quickly and, and we'll see more vulnerability from Cordelia and from everybody as the series, you know, continues to expand and develop these people. But um, but you, I think you're right on that Willow is established right away as having a some kind of stronger handle on things, even though she's in a very different place than Cordelia. Totally. Oh, everyone listening, I just like <clears> thought <throat> about all the things that will happen. And I want to tell you that my whole body was full of just pure excitement. I can't wait to keep watching these episodes. They're so good. They're so good. And they're just going to get better and better. Uh, so we've met. Okay. So we've met um, Giles. Well, Giles. Let's talk about that intro. Let's talk about the first moment we see Giles. Let's talk about bo- the first moment before, right before we see Giles, where she walks into the spooky dark library <laughs> where nobody is, walks up to the desk, and there's nothing on the library desk except for a newspaper with a big <laughs> red Sharpie circle around local boys still missing. Uh, every time we watch this episode, Jenny laughs harder and harder at that. It's so it, ridiculous. It is. Man. God, what is it about what is it about certain television shows or certain ways that things are written where it is so ridiculous and yet I love it so much. Oh my god, me too. Wow. I guess, you know, we're just fans. So, but yeah. also there's something magic. We could end the podcast now forever. We could yeah. just make one episode and say we are fans and be done with it, <laughs> but I would rather sit here once a week and talk to you at length about what I like. God, so Giles, like, right, there's there's the newspaper with the red circle around it, and then Giles, like, can't keep it together. Just immediately, <laughs> I know what you're looking for. This enormous book with, like, metal locks built into the leather with a crazy spelling of the word vampire. Like, what? Yeah. You are taking such... A risk, such a broad, deep swing. Although it's not really a risk because if it was just, if Buffy was just a student, she'd be like, what are, what's your damage, old man? Did you get that callback to the movie? (laughs) I I just surprised myself. It's really really nice. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, he didn't take too much of a risk. But he could have played it a little cooler. He could have played it a little cooler, especially considering how British he is. He's just like losing his mind all over the place. He also, you, you, if you watch the episode closely in the scenes where he's talking to Buffy directly, he's always like way too close for a sort of like faculty student physical proximity thing, which actually is something that Joss Whedon talks about in the in the commentary track um, on the um, complete. Buffy series DVD collection or whatever. Yeah, someone we know has that. I I, it's fine. Um, <laughs> but you you brought this up. You've brought this up with me before where they said like they did that and then they realized that that was totally inappropriate and they kind of like kept a nice buffer between them nice. uh, in future episodes. Well, I'm going to just go on the record here and say I'm pissed off about that. I'm pissed off that they changed the boundaries because here's how I feel because I've thought about it and I watched the scene again today thinking okay let me see if this is if I feel this is inappropriate or some shit and I didn't find it inappropriate at all I think that Giles and Buffy are operating in a sphere of the world where they're trying to literally like stop vampires and like the underbelly of these ghosts and goblins okay probably not ghosts but like (laughs) 
You know what I'm saying? They're uh, they're are there ghosts? Okay. I don't think so. Anyway, they're they're operating in a sphere where they're trying to literally like save people's lives, which I think undoes some of these like student teacher boundaries or even like gender boundaries. It's like Think about how you'd interact with somebody if you were just walking down the street versus if you were the only two people on the street and everybody else was trying to kill you. Like, you're not going to be worrying about, like, how you're interacting with somebody. And I love that. Right, right. And and I think we'll see those boundaries change, too, as their relationship grows and changes. But right up front, what I mean, this episode... You know, they're still sort of like feeling each other out. She's not interested in doing anything yeah, anywhere but, near him. Okay, okay. And I'll stop arguing in a second. But it's just like, <laughs> okay, fine. They've just met. But imagine you just met the one person on the planet who knows the thing about you that no one else knows. Don't you automatically have a pretty intense relationship with that person just by default? Right. I, I see what you're saying. Totally. But I think... You know, at this point, she's still fighting that intense connection. Right. She, she, she's in denial about it. Okay, all right. You know, she's pushing it away, but not pushing him away physically until probably the next episode. Yeah, but she's Buffy's such, like, an eye-roll character. She's, like, not—I feel like she's not a person to push you away unless she really has to. You know, she's more right. like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that about sums, sums it up. Yeah. Uh, sonically. Today's episode is brought to you by Regal Cinemas. If you're anything like me, you deeply enjoy going to the movies. Going to the movies is probably among my top three all-time activities. I love seeing films on the big screen. I also love being around other people who are watching the same movie with me at the same time. And of course, I love eating giant buckets of popcorn. If you feel the same and you like going to the theater, Regal Unlimited is something that just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two movie visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime, no blackout dates, no restrictions. When you want to watch a movie in 4DX or IMAX or RPX or ScreenX, there's so many ways to watch movies these days, your Regal Unlimited membership gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you don't only save money on the tickets, you will also save on your snacks. And as previously mentioned, I love snacks. The only thing that can make me love a snack more is saving money on buying a snack. Members get 10% off of all non-alcoholic concession items with membership. Regal Unlimited, all you can watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two visits. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, join Regal Unlimited and sign up now. You can sign up in the Regal app or on regmovies.com slash unlimited. Sign up for Regal Unlimited using code buffering and earn 10% off your three-month subscription. Please let us know about all of the movies you see and how the popcorn is. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So speaking of, we, I talked just very briefly about how I was excited that Sunnydale High School, Sunnydale? Sunnydale. Whew, I panicked. I talked briefly about how Sunnydale High School being front and center in the cold open and in the opening scene was really important because mm-hmm. I think that that school is a character. The library is a character. Totally. But also the bronze is a character. Totally. And we get to meet the bronze in the first episode, too. We get to meet the bronze. Who Do you know who that band is? Do you know the band that's playing at the bronze? I don't. Let me look it up really quick. It might just be actors, though. It seemed like they were like a band, the way that they were like shooting their feet and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just like if they were if they were just strangers. I mean, strangers. If they were just actors, I feel like they would have just shot their faces. Looks like that band is Sprung Monkey. Wow. So they're a real band. Uh, I can't tell if they're a real <laughs> band or if that's like characters. Oh, okay. So maybe uh, they're not a real band then. Well, anyway, Sprung Monkey or Unsprung oh, Monkey. Oh, Sprung Monkey. Sprung Monkey performs Believe when Buffy goes inside the bronze, according to this website. So maybe it was like a song in the 90s that I didn't know about. But, you know, needless to say, we're introduced to the bronze, which I find interesting as a person who has gone to high school, just because when I went to college, there were bars that, like, would let me in. Yeah, but not in high school. Not in high school. And it's like their whole high school is just there seeing, like, a show. And her mom, Buffy's mom, is like, that's honey. Have fun at the club. And she lets her walk there. Yeah. Which is a really key scene to discuss. Right. Because... Anywhere you need to get in Sunnydale, you're going to want to take the alley. <laughs> you're not going to want to walk down any main streets. You're, it's just like, I think Sunnydale is uh, four, <laughs> four streets that make a square. Uh-huh. And all the stuff is on the outside of the, the square on those streets. And then the inside is just a labyrinth yeah. of alleys, which we'll all get to know better and better as we move through this series. Yeah. So Buffy's strolling, the, taking the shortcut through one of those alleys. But but uh, nod to Joss Whedon and call back to the beginning of this episode of the podcast where we talked about him wanting to undo that alley scene, which he does. I mean, he puts Buffy totally. in an alley. You so think th- she's in danger. Yeah, do you? I mean, well, you do. I guess you do. You do. You're meant to think. I think you if you're if you are seeing that scene for the first time and your your brain uh hard drive is sort of like searching, oh, girl in dark alley, what does this usually mean? Totally. And we haven't seen Buffy fight anyone until this I mean, not that she really fights Angel, but she hasn't defended against anyone until this moment. Yeah, right? she hasn't done anything physical up so to we this don't, point. So we don't know what she's capable of. And we find out the first thing we find out is that she's capable of being in Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> Yeah, that's I don't even know. I'm not totally clear on how she got up there. I'm not totally sure that if I was a guy walking down an alley when I was following a girl, I wouldn't see that. Like she (laughs) is still human size. She's just a little higher up. But But it does look fancy. So still. still. And just straight up and down. And then there she comes in her gymnastic Olympic moment and knocks this mysterious gentleman over mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and we don't mm-hmm. know we don't learn who this gentleman is he's just a friend 
He's a friend, not not Buffy's friend. He didn't say he was Buffy's he friend. He sure didn't. Uh, uh, but he did say without words that he is a perfect hunky slab of man meat yeah. that we can all appreciate. Yes, we can. And we will. And we will. We shall. We appreciate. shall. We did and we will continue to do so. And and Buffy does actually say that to Giles. <laughs> He's gorgeous in an annoying way. Yeah. Yeah. But she knows. She knows that. I feel like she knows that there's just trouble brewing here. You just see a guy smile like that. I mean, there was like a gleam of light that like bounced off of his tooth practically. Oh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's a dream. He um, was actually, I think, uh, discovered like somebody was just driving down the street and saw him like mowing a lawn or something and was like, that guy. That, that's how his acting career started. That is what oh, I have read. boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if any of you know this, but I used to be an actor. So, <laughs> but the reason I bring this up is because my friend and I would visit New York City and we were convinced that that is how you became an actor. That like if you just sang show tunes or like looked cool on the street corner that an agent would come up to you mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. say, you're it. I need you in my next production. And so I'm I'm really encouraged to hear that this method actually worked for one uh, at least one guy. At least one guy. It did not it did not pan out for me that I didn't have that moment, but I wasn't mowing a lawn, so <laughs> maybe I, that was your I mistake. Could try again. There are no lawns to mow in New York. Yeah. <laughs> How about that velvet uh suit jacket that he's How wearing? About it. How about it? I'm pretty sure that there were a couple of girls that I dated who had that exact same velvet blazer. Sure. At sure. least at least one. Wow. Yeah. You Good. know who you are out there. <laughs> Good to know. But yeah, go ahead. No, go no, ahead. no, please. I was just going to say, but like, yeah, I think that um, <clears throat> the blazer is important. Um, the shoes are very shiny. But probably the key takeaway in this exchange, well, there's two. One, that this mysterious figure gifts Buffy a crucifix necklace, which she has seen in her dream. Oh, yeah, the dream necklace. And also is like, by the way, the harvest, bye. Like, just (laughs) drops that shit in her lap and then is like, peace. Yeah, it's like if you wanted to help, don't. it seems like he knows more than he's sharing. And if he wanted to be so helpful... He's Why just, withhold? He's cunning. He's just cunning and really attractive. It's fine. <laughs> I'll be doing a spinoff podcast called Kristen Dates Mysterious Dark Figure, whose name we do not know yet. I, that sounds intriguing. <laughs> it's intriguing, right? I'm looking forward to that podcast's debut. <sighs> anyway, so we got a crucifix. We got a harvest. And in Buffy goes to Shifty Giles, who can't stand still. Oh, Lord. He's wearing a pinky ring. By Giles? the way. Oh, yeah. You know, I feel like that really establishes character. I feel like that's accurate. Really? Yeah, not. I mean, listen, there's a good pinky ring and there's a bad pinky ring. <laughs> no, there's two kinds of pinky rings. Okay, okay. There's like a dad pinky ring. Uh-huh. And then there's like a creepo pinky ring. Okay. I very much feel like Giles is wearing the dad pinky ring here. All right. I'm going to give him a pass on it. I'll allow it. Okay, great. So then, yeah. So then, um, well, big reveal Giles is not friends with the dark, mysterious figure. Heck no. And trouble ensues. It sure does. We go to the, we go to the, uh, speaking of characters, there's a lot of physical places that are real characters in the show is what I'm learning talking about episode one. Oh. Because the because cemetery. The cemetery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or a graveyard. What, which one is it? Well, a graveyard is uh, adjacent to a church. church. That is a 
big sprawling thing. I so think it's a cemetery. Okay, cool. So I think it's a cemetery. We never too. see a church attached to it. So, yeah. although Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn has a chapel inside of it, but that still lets it be a cemetery. Uh, I I think the idea with a with a graveyard is that it's a place where people who attend the church oh, can be buried. I see. Right, and and that chapel is is not like an active service chapel. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. You don't have you right. You can have your funeral inside of that chapel, but you don't go to it for Sunday Mass. Exactly. Wow. Well, this is important material to cover on buffering the Vampire Slayer because... <laughs> Did you just forget where you were? I forgot. I forgot what it was called because I was going to say buffering cast. I, like, got caught up in the social media handle. Sure, sure. Um, which, happens. by the way, is at buffering cast. <laughs> um, but I, I think that talking about the difference between a cemetery and a graveyard is really key, factual, imp- important, and proper information for buffering the Vampire Slayer. Sure. And I find that the cemetery is a character in the show as well. Absolutely. We're going to spend a lot of time there. We get to do. know it very well. We do. I think that maybe it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, even back in my initial viewing of it, which was sparse and sporadic, um, really romanticized the cemetery for me. Sure. All right? that moonlight and fog. Totally. No. Mm. Romanticized and maybe vampires, too. I don't know. I had a big... Thing you with, had your Anne Rice custom uh-huh. fangs, velvet I, yeah, dress, just br- just choker necklaces. right by that. But I really did. I read so much Anne Rice. I watched Interview with the Vampire. I like read the, what is it? The Vampire Diaries. I love. You did? Yeah. Wow. Oh, I loved them so much. And then I bought fangs. Jenny, Jenny just skipped right over this but i bought fangs for halloween that were like you would mold them you would put them in like hot water and put little gel packs in them and mold them to your teeth so they would just click in they were like two separate little fangs and they were so cool and then i just started wearing them all the time um all All the time all the time all the time and i had like velvet dresses and doc martens and fangs (laughs) i just i wanted to be a vampire so it's really it's really i think it's great that here i am Still at age 35 talking about vampires. Just to be clear, though, that was a very different part of your life. Yeah, I mean, I don't have fangs or velvet dresses anymore, but like... But you're still into the darkness. I am. I am. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Let's see. What have we... We haven't talked yet about Buffy and Cordelia interacting with each other. Yeah, the gayest couple of the year award goes to... Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, there's a great deal of shoe and fashion-based sexual tension (laughs) occurring between these two characters. I think that every episode of this podcast, we should um, name the two characters that have the most sexual tension in in each episode. Absolutely. I think that'll be a fun game. Whether it's like sex sexual tension or just like fashion-based sexual tension. Yeah, there's just an obvious tension. And Cordelia and Buffy had it. In this episode. They truly did. Uh, and they got into that whole quiz thing where apparently James Spader was the hottest guy they could think of. Who is James Spader? He's in a show now called The Blacklist. No, no. I mean, uh, I know of it, but I don't know if I can picture him. I don't think he's somebody that you would uh, call up in your mind if you were like, who is the hunkiest babe? I'm going to just Google him right now. Do it. James Spader. Oh, mm-hmm. here. He, oh my God. <laughs> okay. Um, let's do young James Spader. Well, yeah. Let's see if that 
yields any better results. James Franco, young James Spader. Okay. Okay. I mean. Can you uh, shine that phone this way? I'd like to see. Yeah, there's kind of like a little montage of photos. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. it's He's pretty dreamy in a couple of these photos. In a couple of these photos. Kind of a mixed bag. Yeah, it's a mixed bag. But like, look at that photo. Yeah, all right. I'll 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 get behind that thumbs up of James Spader. For sure. Okay. I retract the shade I was throwing at them being into James Spader. Yeah, this isn't an anti-James Spader podcast, so. I just, like, listening, like, hearing that name now just has a very different meaning mm-hmm. than it did in 1997. That's all. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> no offense, James Spader. So Cordelia and Buffy have lots of tension. Yeah, yeah. And Cordelia has so many amazing moments. I mean, obviously, it's like, like you were saying, it's like a little sort of inflated um, caricature right. type stuff. But God, that, that moment when, when uh, Buffy, Willow, Xander, and Jesse are all on the bench and um, Cordelia comes over to tell them about the, the dead guy in the locker and Jesse's like, hey, Cordelia. And she like, with missing no beats, is just like, Oh, place. Yeah. And doesn't even bother to address it any further and mm-hmm. just sort of plows forward with the dead guy in the locker information. Negative beats. So good. Uh, yeah, it's really good. I love Cordelia. I will always love Cordelia. And she's only going to get better. Are there shirts that say Team Cordelia? I'm sure you could find one. I need to find one. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, I'm going to make one. <laughs> I promise you. All of you. We should sell shirts that are Team Buffy, Team... <laughs> Cordelia, <laughs> Team, you know, Sander, Team Willow. But yeah. Which team would you be on? Me? Yeah. Between Buffy, Xander, Willow, and Cordelia? Yep, but we'll put Giles back in the bin, too. And Giles? hmm Right now, I'm Team Willow. Okay, great. But that'll change. It's a good team to be on. When, when Cordelia uh, starts showing a little more vulnerability, I'll be Team Cordelia uh, for team an extended Cordelia. period. I just, I feel like it'd be the nicest looking shirt, too. It would look nice. Her name looks nice. Yeah, that's quite a name. (laughs) Okay, so I think where we're at now is shit starts going wrong real fast and real quick. Yeah, yeah. We had a scene that we haven't talked about where, you know, sort of the master is resurrected or whatever. The naked mole rat vampire. Oh, right. And Luke is like, amen. (laughs) I, I feel like him sort of having this weird demonic uh, text that he seems to be reciting from memory and and then, like, co-opting amen. I don't know. It just doesn't feel very on-brand. I guess he's supposed to be kind of a sarcastic demon. Yeah. I think that the award for second most sexual tension is, is <laughs> given to the master and... And Luke. Luke. They've got something special. They really do. There's a lot going on there. Oh, man. Oh, it's rough. You know, I want to give a shout out to whoever edited this episode um, for their use of effects on the force field. What is that? Oh, God. No, I'm, I'm not. She, you're laughing. Oh, you're serious. I'm but... serious. I think it was a good use no, it... of limited technology to convey. The force field looks good. You know what doesn't look good? <laughs> the master rising up out of the blood pool completely dry. Oh, well, he's the magic. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's not great. It's not great, but we'll see worse. 
We'll see worse and then we'll start to see better. Yeah. I mean, the budget and then for we'll this episode. We'll start ep- to see worse again. Yeah. <laughs> the budget for this episode was probably like $5. And they did great. They did. I think they did fantastic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so, right. The master rises, blah, blah, blah. People are kissing people's hands. They need sacrifice. Not sacrifices, even. They, he just needs to eat. Yeah. He is hungry and he's trapped in a force field. He's hungry, trapped in a force field. So, uh, Darla, I don't understand how Darla is instructed to go get someone, and then this child vampire who doesn't know how to do anything is sent to get one, right? That's what that's yeah, what Darla I mean, implies. Right. I think what we're led to believe is that, like, there's this group of vampires who are, like, waiting for the master to be resurrected, and they're all sort of uh, cooperating to help restore the master back to his strength in time for the harvest. Because then if they restore him, as I understand it, if they restore the master, then everyone will turn into bottles of wine. But instead of wine, there'll be blood, and the blood will flow freely <laughs> right, for right. everyone. <laughs> Are you quoting directly from the book of Luke? <laughs> that was not too far. You weren't too far off. <laughs> right? It was like, if the master rises and you feed him two children, then blood will pour from everywhere, and all the vampires <laughs> will be full. Just stick out your tongue and catch a blood flake. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So I understand their motivation, but I just feel like with such a serious task, you'd think that they would have sent Darla and another Darla, like two right, right. senior members of this vampire clan or yeah. whatever. 80s guy doesn't seem to have a very strong handle, but I also feel like they're not really uh, expecting to encounter somebody who can fight them. Which, like, come on, you guys. Why? I, you I don't know. They've been around for hundreds of years, apparently. Why do they not know that there would be a vampire slayer? It's very peculiar. It is peculiar. I think it's because they were told that there needed to be more than one episode of television. (laughs) Nothing else makes sense. Well, I think they don't actually say, like, what's a vampire slayer? No, but when when Buffy starts kicking Darla's ass, she's like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, she... And Darla's... I mean, we just met Darla, but I feel like Darla is a smart uh, individual, Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. she, come on. Uh, yeah. All of a sudden, this person is is so much stronger than you out of nowhere? Yeah, I think uh, Darla not knowing what she's encountering is going to be sort of retconned out of the show later. Mm. As we learn interesting more about Darla. So, you know, to go through this, I mean, this piece I, I feel like is um, a scene that we'll see, right, of vampires and non-vampires fighting to restore evil or restore goodness. That's sort of a central theme of the show. But I don't think that there's anything too key that happens apart from, like, vampire dude tries to uh, kill Willow and then Darla walks in with other dude who just doesn't care about anything except getting some ass. And then uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and then in comes Buffy and Buffy's like, bam, bam, bam. And she right, kills, she the, kills the young vampire. Darla runs away? No. Darla is like, oh, shit, and then fights Buffy. Right. They fight each other. Then Luke gets there, and he's like, I don't care. I really, his (laughs) voice and like. so good. (laughs) So uh, Luke steps in and starts laying the smack down. Uh, Xander, Jesse, and Willow vacate the crypt. Right. Wait, Uh, I just want to talk about my favorite line where he's like. You are strong. <laughs> Wait, what is he? Is he saying? He you says think? you're strong. I'm he stronger. Yeah, you're strong. And then there's like a ten minute pause, <laughs> and he's like, "I'm stronger." 
it so good. Yeah, he definitely graduated at the top of his class at dramatic vampire <laughs> battle banter school. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's a little it's oh, a little it's heavy-handed. Great. But, great. But excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, you know, Darla runs outside after uh the other three who are surrounded by vampires. Like a million vampires. And we end the episode on <gasps> Oh my god, Luke's gonna buy Buffy. And oh and then god. she's gonna die, and then there's there's and just only the one sh- episode of TV. The show will be over. Hmm. But yeah, and they're in a they're in a crypt. In a coffin in a crypt. Yeah, yeah. In a box inside of a box inside of a box. <laughs> little boxes. Little in the boxes. graveyard. Yeah. Um, is there anything that we didn't talk about? There's one thing we didn't talk about, and that's the operating structure of Sunnydale High School, which apparently stays open when dead bodies fall out of lockers. <laughs> Jim is canceled, though. Give them some credit. They, can't, they were like, mm, dead guy fell out of a locker, so no Jim today. But school will carry on. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're on a hellmouth, yeah, I guess oh, the show must go on. I guess so. Shout out to the girl who plays, I think her name is Aura, who yeah, uh, who has the, the guy fall out of the locker onto her. Really, really pro screaming. Yeah. Really amazing horror movie scream. Ugh. How do you get good at a horror movie scream? Practice, practice, practice. You Not in my who, house, though. You want who the best one is? You know who the best horror movie screamer is. Oh, my God. It's uh, uh, blah, 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 uh, Roseanne Arquette. Nope. Joanna Arquette. No. <laughs> what is her name? Patricia. Patricia. Her name is Patricia Arquette. I just kept thinking, like, Julie, 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 Julie. The, but that's not an Arquette that I'm aware of. Patricia Arquette has... The most amazing horror movie if scream you, of all time. If you want to hear a scream, you pop in um, Freddy Krueger, the third one. It's called Dream Warriors, and you watch. Kristen is her character's name. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Scream, and you will be like, wow. It's better than Aura. It's better than everyone. Yeah, she's she's kind of the best. Yeah, she she's the scream queen. Well, I think we've talked about... Definitely a whole bunch of things. Oh, maybe all the things. Maybe. I'm mean, never all the things. We could probably do a podcast on this podcast <laughs> and dig in deeper to all of the things. Let's do that. But I think we'll let we'll leave that to someone else. Okay. To do the uh, meta podcast. But I mean, we've covered core characters. We've covered symbolism. We've covered lesbianism, shoes, um, vampires. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've covered a lot. Um, I think that this episode, whew, talk about setting a foundation. Seriously. I'm ready. I can't wait to see what happens next. Oh my gosh. And you're saying that as a person who knows what happens next. I know. But I don't know what happens next, mm. which is what, oh, so, you know, a, a fun fact is that I watched seasons two through seven. Is there seven? Mm-hmm. But I, this is my first full watching of season one. So I have some ideas about the characters, but I don't know what happens in the season. Um, You're going to find out. I'm really excited to find out. So we'll be back next week to watch the next episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer with you and talk about it. Between now and then, you can find us on Twitter at BufferingCast, or you can email us at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com. What an email address. Thank you. What an email address. We scored. Um, I'm Kristen Russo, and you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is unfortunately really hard to spell. It's my first and middle name, Kristen Nolene. That's N-O-E-L-I-N-E for those of you who don't know how to spell 
Nolene. Like Noel with I-N-E at yeah, the end. Yeah, it's confusing. People think it's Kristen online. It's not. You can find me there, or if you just can't spell Nolene, you can find me on Twitter at Everyone is Gay, which is an organization that I run for LGBTQ young people. Jenny, where do we find you? Well, hey, I'm Jenny Owen Youngs, and you can find me under that name on just about all social media platforms, except for Snapchat, on which I am forever hunks for some reason. <laughs> forever hunks. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for tuning in and hanging out with us. We're really looking forward to continuing this podcast. Until next week. Oh, down, down, down. I'm brand new in Sunnydale. I haven't quite unpacked. Oh, hey, Cordelia, Xander, Who's this creeper in the stacks With the great big vampire book Probably bound in human skin There's a dead guy in a locker And all they did was cancel Jim Whoa, oh, oh, oh Welcome to the Hellmouth Forgot my steak Welcome to the Hellmouth Will we be okay? Welcome to the Hellmouth Joyce is optimistic Headed to the bronze and there's a hot guy on my heels Talking some trash about some harvest Is this librarian for real? Gotta follow Willow to the graveyard Try to keep her from getting bit I can't believe I got sucked back into this Shh. Whoa, oh, 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 welcome to the hell now I'm in a crypt, welcome to the hell now Luke is big, welcome to the hell now To be continued Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.